From the Hype HQ studio in Chicago, Illinois, it's Startup Hype Man, the podcast. Hello, everyone. My name is Raj Nation, and I am the founder of Startup Hype Man. Fast-growing startups work with me because they want to become better storytellers. Whether that's for customers, investors, or a packed audience, they know that story is their ticket to stand out, stand apart, and change the game. And this podcast here is where I talk with entrepreneurs and leaders in the startup ecosystem, ranging from scale stage to early stage, as they share specific strategies that they have executed to stand out across three specific areas, sales, marketing, and people. Before we begin today's episode, remember you can head to startuphypeman.com and subscribe to the newsletter that doesn't suck. You'll get new podcast episodes and timely reads written by me, but also helpful articles from around the web and a notice of upcoming pitch competitions. All right, let's dive in and hear how today's guest is changing the game. Ladies and gentlemen, making her way to the microphone from Kolam, Kerala, India, and currently residing in Chicago, Illinois, in the USA. She is the CTO and co-founder of Minerva Software. Please welcome Geetha Ramaswamy. Welcome to the show, Geetha. Thank you, Raj. How are you today? <laughs> I'm good. Are you, st- are you starstruck by that introduction? Oh, I'm... Um... I'm enjoying this, yes. <laughs> Thank you. <laughs> she is Geetha Ramaswamy, the co-founder, CTO of Minerva Software. Minerva builds custom SaaS products for small and medium-sized businesses centered around data so that they can make better decisions as organizations. They are a bootstrapped company, three and a half years in business. They've grown to 24 employees across Chicago, across Kuchin in Kerala, India, as well as on the West Coast with an advisor, even in the UK. Geetha, our topic today is using proof of value to unlock new verticals. Can you let our listeners know why this is on your mind and why it's important to you? Absolutely. So there are two parts to this. Uh, the first one is, you know, I'd like to talk about, you know, proof of value and then go into why this is important, right? So traditionally, we've always had proof of concept. So proof of value is something that's, that's come along probably in the last, um, last decade or last few years where people have um, started focusing on it a bit more. While proof of concept traditionally focused on, you know, proving out a particular concept or technology and seeing how it applies to a particular business, proof of value actually, you know, forces you to stop thinking about the journey and instead focus on the destination. So on the end result, like what does it mean to apply a concept or a technology and does it actually matter to me? Does it actually solve a pain point or an existing problem that I have, which means that I do have a need for it rather than it's a nice to have and you know, it, it's classified as a want. So proof of value by itself is, you know, um, is, is so important when we are developing products because if there is no market need, there is no product, essentially. So this is important to us because when we are building B2B SaaS products, for us to make sure that, that the product enjoys something more than just shelf life, it, it has to live, it has to exist, and it can exist if and only if there is a market need driving it. And the proof of value will prove that, yes, 
there is a need for it and therefore it will thrive. We're going to dive all into that, not only the more further exploration into the proof of value concept, but proof of value as a concept, uh, <laughs> but then also how to expand and unlock new verticals with that strategy. As Minerva is embarking on at this moment, one caveat I'll let everyone know is that this is another work from home edition of this show. So you might get random background noise. You might get a baby crying in the unit next door. You might get construction. I don't know. But bear with us as we brave the work from home environment and challenge. So Geetha, before we dive into our primary topic further, let's learn a little bit more about uh, who you are and your own background. I was doing some research on you and I noticed that we have something in common in that we are both uh, yoga teachers in addition to being business people. So on that note, I'm curious to know uh, where'd you do your training and how, if at all, do you feel yoga applies to your business life? Absolutely. Um, I did my training here at the Chicago Yoga Center. I don't know if you're familiar with that. Um, yeah. um, Suda was my uh, yoga master. He's phenomenal. Um, and how does it apply to Minerva is that it, it helps bring a lot of Zen and, you know, karma at the end, you know, <laughs> all you can do is all you can do. And you, you keep doing the right thing and your results will come along. You know, you want to make sure that you're making progress um, and, you know, you, you are going to get very overwhelmed and, and vulnerable, as you mentioned in your own TED talk. Um, but that is progress, right? And not being so stressed about, all right, am I going to make it? You know, so I think that that grounding aspect, uh, I, I really, really am grateful for, you know, for knowing at least a little bit about yoga, of course, every day is, you know, it's a, it's a learning by itself. One thing I will say that yoga has helped me with is, as a business owner, is specific to the current times, um, when the pandemic hit, there was a lot of freaking out and overreaction, which I'm not going to fault anyone for doing that because it's the first time it's ever happened in anyone's life. Mm -hmm. But I feel like if you, uh, if you practice yoga regularly and if you, really, like, if you really are fully bought into the principles and concepts and you've embodied them yourself, it has allowed me anyway to better, have a better mindset about everything and really down to the fundamental aspect of just knowing you can breathe through something right. uh, to help figure it out, to help clear your head and just to feel centered amidst chaos. Have you felt similarly over the past couple months? I am by, by nature, you know, I, I used to get very, very anxious. I still, you know, I would say that there are times um, when I do, but I think, you know, the, the deep breathing definitely helps. And, and you're right, over the, the next couple of months, I did feel that, but I would say, Raj, over the past few years, it's, it's become a little better, you know. It could also be age, but you know. <laughs> I mean, just... yeah, that definitely plays a factor too. <laughs> Experience <Right>. helps. <laughs> right, you're like, okay, you know what? The sky is not yet crashing on our heads. So, you know, <laughs> we'll, we'll, even this will pass, you know. <laughs> well, let's talk about um, how you got into the CTO role at Minerva. Can you walk us through your sort of your path to like into technology and how you started Minerva? 
absolutely. So, um, so I did my, my master's here at the University of Illinois at, at Chicago, um, graduated in 98. And um, after that, I Literally at, two blocks down the street from me, by the way. <laughs> really? <laughs> yeah. That's, that's awesome. So yes, uh, you, you know, after that, um, worked at AT&T until, until 2011. And uh, if, if I have to define myself as to, you know, how, um, um, you know, what I enjoy the most in my career is being hands-on. Um, I love applying technologies to solve actual customer problems. Because that's the, to me, that's the best way you can, you can really understand that particular technology. Otherwise, it's, it's all academic. And think about it, you know, how much of your calculus from your math class in high school or college do you remember? Um, I don't, I didn't, I think I, I forgot it probably, you know, six months after uh, I graduated, but out of sight, out of mind, right? But with technologies, I think the more we apply to solving actual, uh, uh, actual customer problems, they, you know, you, you retain them and you know how best to apply them. So I, I enjoy doing that. And, and, you know, at AT&T definitely had a lot of good opportunities to do that. Um, and after AT&T in 2011, I joined a company called Segesa, uh, which was a much smaller company, but very interesting and, and great team to work with. Um, and there, there also, I had the opportunity to work with data. That, that's where I, I first learned about big data, um, about you know, this wonderful thing called Hadoop, and about data analytics products, right? Where you're doing both data warehousing as well as data analytics you know, under, under one roof. Um, all this was pretty exciting. So in 2016, I, um, I decided to, to take all that knowledge. And, and basically, I felt um, there is a need in the market to start implementing some of these products um, little by little, rather than you know, trying to build a rocket ship overnight, you start you know, building pieces of it um, in an iterative manner, and then do course corrections and validations along the way, and then you know, build something phenomenal, right? So, so that was the motivation for me to, to start Minerva. And coincidentally at that time, um, my, my best friend, Sony Gabriel, who, who, you know, who is one of my uh, co-founders, uh, who is one of the co-founders of Minerva as well, um, was also, you know, looking, um, thinking along these same lines. So I think uh, it was a great opportunity to start Minerva with him. And along the way, um, two years ago, we also had another uh, friend of ours. Again, all three of us went to school together. Uh, we are actually, we graduated together in 1995 from um, the University of Kerala, um, from the computer science and engineering batch. With that sort of backdrop and getting into Minerva, um, you know, I introduced the company earlier in our conversation here as one that builds custom SaaS products for small and medium-sized businesses, specifically related to data, so that those companies can make better decisions as an organization. Um, help steer us from there. Uh, I mean, that's just a quick, <laughs> quick explanation, but help fill in some detail there. And I'd also love to know how you came up with the name. Okay, sure. I'd love to. Um, I'll start with the name because Minerva is actually the Etruscan goddess of art, wisdom, and knowledge. So it's not Minerva. Minerva is the Italian equivalent 
uh, Minerva is actually much more is older. Minerva is the Roman version of Athena, right? Yes, yes, yeah. yes. <laughs> so, but Minerva was apparently a, a predecessor, or you know, someone who is more senior. You know, let's just put it that way. Um, so, since we are uh, a data analytics company, right? We felt that the wisdom and knowledge aspect of it was was very powerful, and then of course, the feminine component, right? So, we felt it's it's very empowering. But then I did make a compromise. That's why it's M E N, Minerva, you know. <laughs> so. <laughs> no, that's that's a really cool uh, backstory to the company name. So let us know then. Um, you know, give us more information or, or detail on what the company does. Yeah. So what we do is um, essentially our sweet spot is working with small to medium businesses, um, as I've mentioned. So most of these companies, they employ a cocktail of applications to execute their workflows. So for instance, you know, they may be using Google Docs, they may be using HubSpot, they may be using you know, a, a slew of other applications as well to execute their day-to-day -day workflows. Um, we know that a lot of them can be manual. Again, some of these applications can be very expensive, not only to use, but also to set up. So you need specially skilled admins and so on. So as a result, what happens is you have um, silos of data even within your own organization. So when you have to make an educated um, decision about something, the best the companies make is an educated guess. It's, you know, you're not based, basing it off of data at your fingertips. You think it is, but it's not always the case. So, and again, data can tell you a different story. And, and as humans, you know, we're also biased towards, okay, we know for sure that this thing works, but when you, when you actually look at the numbers, it might be different. So, so what we try to do is we, we take these workflows and we are able to put them all under one roof. And that's where, you know, this custom SaaS application uh, works very well. So, for instance, if this, this particular co company that, or client that we are working with, they themselves have 10 to 20 clients, you can imagine the amount of manual work that their employees have to go through to, to, in, to execute, um, execute you know, business for their clients, right? So there's a lot of doing that happens without actually thinking about, okay, how can I make this more productive? How do I scale better, right? And how do I focus more on my client's business value rather than um, just, you know, executing all the to-dos or tasks, you know, to help them function. So that's, that was one motivation. So, you know, to get all the data under one roof, that's one. Um, and, the, and as a result, when you do that, you automatically have, uh, you know, all of the data that you need at your fingertips and thereby you can drive your daily decisions in an ongoing manner. Let's, dive deeper now into our primary topic today, which is using proof of value to unlock new verticals. Now you mentioned earlier the main difference between a proof of concept and a proof of value. And then you define proof of value as really being like destination focus with some key, um, key results that are identified upfront. Mm -hmm. Now, when we think of proof of value versus proof of concept, is that really just a matter of you know, nomenclature, because I, I would imagine people are doing proofs of concept. They want to achieve results too. Are you saying though more so that proof of concept 
does not have to have any objectives and it's kind of more of an exploration. Is that, is that correct? Or did I get that wrong? No, it, it, is, it is correct. And the thing is, sometimes it's also um, construed as a marketing term, but it is not when you actually think about it. So even, even if you look at the words, right, proof of concept, you're proving a concept, proof of technology, you know, you're proving a technology or a concept. Hey, does it work? Yeah, and, does it work? Yeah, that's what I was just thinking as you right? said that. Does it work is kind of the key question. Right. right. And the proof of value is, does it work for me? Mm. Right. It may work. Yes. It may, it, may solve, it may be solving world hunger, but does it solve hunger for me? You know, sorry, cliche, but. Um, yeah, <laughs> yeah so I get I, it. Does it put food on my table? Not yeah. does it solve hunger in general. Does it put, put, right. put food on my table? Right. Um, with that understanding, let's talk about how Minerva is leveraging this idea of proof of value in order to not just acquire new customers, but expand into new verticals. So first, walk us through who sort of like the, what, what are the qualities of the existing customer set? And then what is the new or new verticals that you're expanding into? Okay, so we currently are familiar with four industry verticals. So let me start there. Um, healthcare, social media, retail, and FinTech. We are strong believers uh, in the fact, Raj, that just having technology experience or being able to work with um, a lot of technologies, while that is important, it's not as important as the domain knowledge that you should have. Because data by itself is data. You know, you, again, it's numbers. But you know, uh, different numbers can mean different things to different domains, right? So, so what we try to do is we try to make sure that we have the domain knowledge. And we are confident about these, um, at least healthcare and fintech. Like I said, our advisors, they have been in the fintech space. And uh, Sunil, the third co-founder, he is um, he's very well, very experienced in the healthcare space. So when you, when you know a bit more about the domain, you also know that, okay, here are you know, some of the pain points that keep coming up again and again for these customers. And so, hey, it might be a good idea to build something that people will actually use, right? Of course, there's also the other school of thought, which where it's always fun to build something, even if people don't need anything when it comes to technology. It's, <laughs> it's just so gratifying to, to build something, right? But unfortunately, you know, there is time, effort, money, all that, those things don't work very well, right? <laughs> so we are very particular that when we embark on a particular problem and when we are trying to solve it, especially if this is something uh, you know, that we are uh, originating from within Minerva, we want to make sure, yes, this will sell or this, this makes sense, right? So, so that's been you know, looking at our current uh, verticals and then looking at our domain knowledge and saying, yes, there is, for instance, um, you know, this operational pain point that we keep running into, that all financial institutions are, are running into. Um, and so it makes sense to build something that will actually help them out. So when we start addressing and truly helping the pain points and illustrating that with our beta customers, then we gain their trust and credibility and we have the opportunity to add actual business value. And then we think we know then the money and fame and all that will, will follow itself, right? But, but if you're focused on the, on the ladder, unfortunately, you know, we may just crash and burn, right? Sure. So, so that's been one approach. 
that be doing? So with the, one more time, the existing verticals were social media and, what were, and say the other ones again. Uh, social media, retail, fintech, and healthcare. Social media, retail, fintech, and healthcare. So that's right. the base. Now, when we think about expanding into new verticals, <laughs> what have you, at least thus far, defined as the next expansion points and, and why choose those as opposed to choosing you know, what you're not choosing? Right. So I think the, the, there is a criteria internally that we look at before we expand into another vertical, which is that either one of us has, you know, we, we need to have a domain expert on board. So I will say that social media was not one of the verticals where any of us had expertise in. But after we started working with a client who is, who is, you know, such a, who is a great expert on social media, we were able to work with them closely and understand that vertical much more. So the criterion is for us, we are, in some cases, we meet a customer or uh, a contact where they bring in the domain knowledge and they look at what we have been doing in the other verticals. And we also have a few demo applications, data analytics applications that we try to um, demonstrate to all our prospects so that they get a flair for, okay, this is how we think and this is what we build and this is what we can do for them, right? So sometimes they look at that and, and they realize that we could do something, you know, again, something useful, you know, we could generate something useful from this and then we go from there. So that's our other segue into new verticals. Got it. So it's still, it sounds like it's still a very much a customer led process. Yes. You're not just throwing things at the wall and seeing nope. what works. Very customer centric. That's a, you know, we, we try to, we try to be that all the time. Yeah, good. Which is, I mean, I think that's a fantastic strategy and companies should operate in that manner. What does a proof of value look like specific to your company? So if you identify a new vertical and, mm -hmm. you know, let's kind of just walk us through an example of one vertical you're expanding into and how you determine proof of value uh, as, and, and how do you slide it into your sales process? Because I, I don't think it's as easy as just emailing people being like, Hey, we'll do this thing. We'll do a 10 week pilot for you. Cause People are like, I don't have time for that, right? So kind of walk us through vertical, how you decide the, val the proof of value project and how you, how you insert it into the sales process. Okay, so, um, so in our past conversation, right, Raj, I had mentioned to you that we are building MVPs of two products that, uh, that we are looking to launch in the next couple of weeks. Um, one of them is targeting financial institutions where they are a, where we are going to be helping them mitigate losses by, by basically um, um, allowing them to predict their loss over, over the upcoming months due to delinquencies. So basically uh, predict delinquencies that are bound to happen using you know, third-party data sources, internal data sources, uh, credit bureau sources, and so on and so forth. So that's one. Um, another example is we have, we have seen um, a case where um, where business users are challenged with, um, with using models that have been created to them by their, by their data analyst teams. So in that case, how can they reuse um, data models that have been created where sometimes they just have to execute them using new data or um, they may just have to um, retrain that model without 
without actually being um, dependent on their data analyst to do so. So it's a portal for that. So in both of these cases, what we are looking at is, first of all, we are trying to identify who would be our best beta customers. So for instance, instead of just opening up and say, hey, everybody just come in, here's what we have. I don't think anybody's going to sign up. But if you are targeted and if you really um, go after uh, the, um, the contacts who will, who will actually benefit from it, then we feel that they will be a great beta customer base. And our proposition is that we'll have um, an extended trial period where they can, no obligations, they can actually try out the product. And during that time, we are very confident that we can illustrate proof of value. So some of the metrics that we use to measure whether um, we, are, we are, or how effective we are in illustrating proof of value is, um, for one, how soon can we get the application up and running in their environment? Second, how much of it is automated and scaled so that they start seeing results much sooner than, you know, so it's not us telling them, hey, look, it'll take us six weeks to, to customize this for you. You know, then, you know, warning bells go in. So if we are talking about proof of value, then we must be ready to, you know, have the application up and running quickly, automate, scale everything at the onset and not, you know, after a few weeks. I want to ask you about some of those like parameters you put around launching the proof of value. But before I do that, uh, mm -hmm. I want to stop and let our listeners know about a new partner of the show in Sales Hacker. So if you're a longtime listener here, then you know, not only because you've been listening, because I've been doing this read for a long time now, <laughs> that I try to feature more B2B startups on the show, like Minerva is, um, or maybe startups that are marketplace with a B2B angle to them. And Sales Hacker is the world's smartest community for forward-thinking B2B professionals. It is 135,000 members deep, which means if you're a CEO, a head of sales, a sales rep, uh, or even a marketing person, Sales Hacker is going to help you get better at your job with things like podcasts, articles, webinars, and research from actual sales practitioners and experts, including yours truly. Every now and then, I'm contributing to Sales Hacker as well. It's no fluff from outside content marketers. It's just a straight dope to grow your sales acumen. I'm a big fan of the sales hacker community and the people over there. Um, I love what they're doing and I'm so excited to have them as a partner of this podcast. Now, if you want to get involved with sales hacker, it's simple. Go to saleshacker.com, easy URL, saleshacker.com. Just enter your email address and you can access the entire community for free. Plus, they've also got a lot on their website without even having to give your email address. But if you give your email, then you'll get tailored content in your inbox. Again, it is saleshacker.com to get access to the articles, the research, and more. One more time, that's saleshacker.com. Today on Startup Hype Man, the podcast, we're with Geetha Ramaswamy, the CTO and co-founder of Minerva Software, talking using proof of value to unlock new verticals. Now, Geetha, um, I want to ask you about this parameters that you have to put around proof of value. So you can talk with the potential customer around and define like what are the shared metrics and objectives here and, and, the, and what equals success and results. But how do you put a window around that? In, and, and really what's driving my question is, how do you do this in a way where they're not taking advantage of, of your free labor and the product you've developed? That's a good question. Um, so before we 
engage in any type of uh, agreement or, or anything, right? The first thing that we do is we write it down and we say, okay, here is what, you know, we are going to do here. And that way it's all on paper. And, and this way it also helps us meet expectations and there are no surprises after the implementation is done. So, so that's one way, you know, so um, for instance, with, um, if, I, if I look at the AI workbench, you know, we would basically say, let's start with five models that, that you're looking to use from within the application. So anything more than that would be, you know, would be something that we'll have to consider. And in some cases, if these are all very, depending on how complex they are and how, um, you know, how not easy to implement, you know, how much of resources they will need to execute, you know, we could say that, okay, if there are five um, average models, then that's what, uh, average size models, then that's what we will, we will propose. But if they are really very small models, then maybe, you know, we could go to eight or 10. So it's, it's basically evaluating and then ensuring that, okay, this, these are the number of hours that we have bucketed to, you know, as part of this freemium setup. Now, if anything goes beyond that, then we'll have to talk. Chances are that I think if we communicate openly and we explain that this is basically what it is, because sometimes customers I think don't know what is easy to do and not. And in that case, I think having that conversation with them and, and at the end of the day, it, it has to be a win-win too. So it's clearly, it comes down to clearly defining what the scope yes. is upfront. Just as you would do at the end of a sales process, you're doing this for the proof of value at the beginning. Absolutely, yes. Now, how do you ensure then that it is a successful experiment or, or a successful project and you do prove the value and not turn into a failed experiment. Because we are going to articulate what it is exactly that we will do at the beginning before we start. So we tell them, this is what you're going to see. This is what you will, you will get at the end. And that's basically our, our criteria for success. So if we didn't meet that, then, you know, I don't know what we were thinking when we were writing that. So, <laughs> so that's, and, and that's part of our process today, even with, when we build B2B products for our other customers. We believe in a specification process where um, we are not trying to be pedantic, but we do write down, this is exactly what we are building. So there are no surprises and, and it helps in just plain English so that, that all of us can read the development, the product managers, the right. clients and everyone. So I guess then, let me ask that in a different way. Cause that makes sense, right? You say, here's what we're going to do. And then you prove the thing that you said you were going to do, but how do you do that while, cause I, I think there's like a very easy, oh, we're going to do this, but, but the, what you did is actually not that much. Right. So how do you get to that point of being like, okay, at this level, that's what we believe. That's when we believe value has been achieved versus not doing enough or doing too much. We, we should be able to quantify that too, for sure, Raj. You know, within a certain number of days, you would have been able to run so many iterations of the, of the model when you retrained it. You should be able to download so many results or just execute it and so on and so forth. And that would be, and if that is true value for them, then they would, they would probably commit to it at the beginning. That's, that's our assumption. 
But if they don't commit to it, then we know that, okay, they're probably not very interested in being a better customer because obviously, you know, it's not working out for them. Do you have situations where you say, here's what we believe value is, and they say, actually, we think it's a little bit more than that, and then you modify to come to like a middle ground? Absolutely. Because at the end of the day, I think it's the pain point is on the customer's side. So what can we do to make them shine? And that's, that sure. goes without saying. However, you know, what does it make, what does it mean to make them shine? You know, if it's a complete revamp of what we are doing and if it's impossible to do it within a certain time frame, I think it's better to come clean and, um, and that's what we do all the time because, you know, you, you can't build something overnight and that's not the point. So, right. Yeah. Right. Um, do proof of values have to be free? Can they be paid? They can be paid, but I think when you when it comes to a brand new product, um, it um, I think it's a fine line, Raj, because you also want to make sure you get good feedback or uh, critical feedback, and if you sometimes um, when you when you pin a cost to it at least in the initial stages with your first one or two or three better customers, when you pin a cost to it, then you may run into the risk of no one ever wanting to come near your product. So I think you are, even though, you know, you may not be getting, um, you know, dollars, you're still getting, you know, critical feedback and that is necessary for your product to grow and get validated. Now, having said that, if it's free, how do you ensure, and maybe it's through communication, maybe it's through scope agreement up front, but generally speaking, when things are free, just in life, we tend to pay less attention to, like, like oh yeah, I'll take that. Like, uh, for example, as a yoga instructor, I have like five free gym memberships, <laughs> but I only really use one of them, right? And I, 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 $400 in monthly gym memberships, just like, comes to me every month, but I don't use $400, right? So how do you ensure that doesn't happen where it's like, oh, it's this free thing that's happening on the customer, like the customer side. They're not saying, yeah, it's this free thing we're doing. We'll see what they come up with. Cause I think, I feel like they have to have input and an active involvement for it to truly be successful, right? Right, so that's where, although I say it's free, it's a freemium model, right? Mm-hmm. So we are looking to, um, we are saying no obligations for the first 60 days, for instance, right? So during that 60 days, they could try out the product. And of course, we would be following up with them closely. So it's not, you know, I, you know we install it and we say, so long, we'll see in 60 days. No, I, I don't think that will go anywhere. <laughs> so we have to, you know, when we have the initial agreement, we'll, we'll write down the expectations, like the checkpoints. And, and we are always there because we want them to use it because that's, it's in them using it that we can also demonstrate our value, and they also get the benefit from you know signing this up with us. So, so what we are trying, what we are proposing is, it's not free, you know, till the end of time, but it's free for a certain time period sure. during which, um, you know, we could we could enhance the product or we can see how, you know how things pan out, and then in sixty days, you know, that's when we start, you know, they you know they have an option to either purchase it or or not. And that comes back to the, the parameters you talked about earlier. Yes. During that 60-day window, at what point do you come back to them? 
like let's let's say it's going well mm-hmm. and, and presumably so if you keep if you're able to do it over and over again uh, I, would, I would assume the failure rate is probably is much lower and you're 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 hedging your bets here in your favor um at what point in that 60-day uh proof of value timeline do you reach out to them to say let's talk about what this looks like beyond 60 days and get like a, you know, a long-term agreement together? Or do you wait until the 60 days are up to have that conversation? No, I think, uh, I think once we reach uh, between the 30 days and the 60 days mark, right? If we went up, if we, if we are having productive conversations for the first 30 days, we know things are going well or, or we should know pretty soon mm-hmm. that this is going downhill or, uh, or uphill, you know? So um, anyway, so, I think at that point we can gauge the customer sentiment and, you know, whether they'll proceed with it or not, or we, you know, it it may be a a moment where we look at things and say, Hey, you know what, this probably is, you know, there there are things that we have to adapt and an update in here before we can actually uh, go ahead and and let the customer know. So we try very hard um, to look at it from the customer standpoint to ensure that, okay, if we are making a proposition, it's, it's actually going to benefit them because the last thing we want is, you know, sell the customer something and then, you know, which they are not keen on purchasing. And then, you know, those things never last that long, right? right. Um, it's better to go in strong and, and make an impact and ensure that, you know, they're, they're really happy with, you know, what you're delivering. So, so I think those conversations will start will earlier i mean that there's no need to beat about the bush but i think it's it's productive to you know to raise that ahead of time and see you know how things are going and if this is something that you know they'll be keen on pursuing so it sounds like even though you've got a 60-day window on this you've got it structured in a way where they're probably if if they're going to see value (laughs) they're probably going to see value like say around the 30-day mark Absolutely. Which then allows them to get basically an extra month of value for where you can say, hey, let's continue the momentum as opposed to you're not structuring in a way where it's a 60-day window and they're supposed to see first value on day 59. Right. Okay. Yep, yeah. And that, I think that makes sense because, you know, I... I I feel like people could hear this and be like, well, that's the same as a free trial. But I really think a free trial is more often than not done in such a passive manner. Uh, And you might have some like automated emails to bump people through and be like, have you used this yet? But it's still passive because you automated that part and you're not necessarily working on a shared goal. You're, you're saying, here's the thing, use it if you want it for a little bit of time. And we don't even necessarily know what your specific use case is. Yes. The difference in here is that we, we hold the customer's hands in, in ensuring that they are able to find the value and that we have checkpoints to ensure that it's, it's, no, it's not as passive as, you know, as, uh, as the free trials that, uh, that happen with consumer applications, right? Because, for instance, I may download WinZip and I have a trial for 14 days and then, um, you know, and then you know I can convert that into a subscription, but this is not like that because we want to make sure that the product does illustrate value, actual value to the customer. And if not, we want to know 
why it did not work out and what is it that we should change so that next time it does work for them right and that that's our criteria we we want to be successful and if it was if it was not successful there, there probably was a reason as to why it wasn't successful you know barring everything else like budgets and things of that nature right my, I have one more question before we begin our wrap up. Generally speaking, at what point do you feel it makes sense for a company to expand into a new vertical versus just focusing in and going deep within one vertical? Usually expanding into new verticals, Raj, I have found that to be more of a brownfield expansion. It's not, not necessarily a, because there's, you know, there's so, you know, so many products out there and pain points and, and the like. And, and, I'm, and there are lots of companies trying to solve you know, the same problem differently, right? So, the, so, when, so, so expanding into a new vertical, like I said, one of the things that is a must is having a domain expert. I think someone who knows the domain will be able to champion the product like no one else can. So I, we are very big on that. So that's, so it might be a client coming and saying, look, I want to build this and this is what I know. Then we learn from them and, and we work with them very closely to ensure that, okay, we can actually realize their vision. And that's worked out uh, for us in the past. So that's one. Um, the, the second one is um, when it comes to delving more into an existing vertical, to us, that needs to happen or that can happen if and only if we have a customer validation of the of at least the basic version because that's important um, because it, it's like you have a you have a great product but if you keep enhancing it without any outside input you're like a frog in a well you know you really don't know what you're building and what you what you generate you know it may be a great thing but no one may care about it right so so I think that's the, the criterion before delving more and more into a vertical. And that's what we are doing with our MVPs that we have generated. We are in a position where we think we have a, a good pain point to address. But the thing is, we also have to validate it with a customer and ensure that it makes sense. And then with their feedback, we'll continue to enhance it even more and make it better. Where can our listeners find you online and learn more about the company? Um, the first place would be our website, so mannervasoftware.com. Um, and the second place is LinkedIn. You know, uh, you, can, you can follow me or follow Manerva Software or follow um, my co-founder, Sony Gabriel. Great. Given our conversation today to do our wrap up, um, let's give our top one or two lessons or takeaways for the listeners based on this discussion. I'll go first and then I'll hand it off to you. Um, to me, I think the biggest things that came out of this conversation were um, if you're going to use proof of value in your strategy for, I don't think not, not just new vertical expansion, but just in general customer acquisition, mm -hmm. um, you've got to really take the time to understand your body. Like it, it's almost like what other, what companies treat as traditional discovery. It's like you're doing that but then also in the context of how can we create something for you or how do we take what we have for you and, and make sure that your goals can be hit right away as opposed to in a sales process, it's like all the questions you're asking and the conversations you're having are for a, when a future contract is signed and money is paid, then we can do these things. 
The other thing that I think is important here is that this strategy, uh, and you tell me if you disagree, but this strategy makes a lot of sense for some companies and doesn't make sense for a lot of other companies. And I, and I think the one that doesn't make sense for is if you have a low ticket offering that has high volume. Uh, so if you're selling like a hundred dollar a month product, probably, or, or less than that, uh, it probably doesn't make sense to get into these like deep level proof of value conversations. But if you're working for thousands and multiple thousands of dollars in a contract per month, that's where um, this holds a lot of weight and merit. Geetha, your top one or two takeaways um, from our discussion today? Yes, the top one or two is, um, the first one is, I think at the intersection of data domain knowledge and pain points, there are plenty of opportunities, right? And plenty of ways to add value. And I completely agree with you know what you said about those you know low ticket uh, items and the, the you know the high effort you know very cost uh, very costly to build uh, type of implementations. Um, so so like I said, although there are plenty of opportunities, the the key takeaway is nothing replaces execution. So you know if you take a line from um, John Doerr's quote, he says, ideas are easy, but execution is everything and it takes a team to win, right? So true proof of value can be provided if you execute well and think from the customer standpoint and, you know, and deliver as a result. My final question, fill in the blank. Entrepreneurship is blank. It's, it's about identifying a real business need and the ability to add tremendous value to a customer by building the right solution. Identifying a real business need and providing tremendous valuable value to the customer. She is Geetha Ramaswamy. She is the co-founder and CTO of Minerva Software. Geetha, thank you so much for joining me today on Startup Hype Man, the podcast. Thank you so much, Raj, for having me. That wraps up today's conversation. Did you like what you heard? Startup Hype Man, the podcast is available on every major platform, including Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Google Play, and more. So be sure to subscribe on your platform of choice and leave a rating and review. Do you want to be an upcoming guest on the show? Email media at startuphypeman.com with your idea and my team will review. Our theme song is Change the Game by Jay-Z, all rights owned by Rockefeller and Def Jam Records. And hey, if you want to work together on making your startup story the only one that matters, email me at rajiv at startuphypeman.com. That's R-A-J-I-V at startuphypeman.com. Well, that'll do it for today. Thank you for listening. Thank you to today's guests for joining. You have been checking out Startup Hype Man, the podcast. I'll catch you next week. But in the meantime, word up, raise up.